Welcome back to Dollars and Dragons. I have with me today uh, DM Steve. If you'd like to introduce yourself to our audience. Oh, I'd love to. Thanks for, so much for having me. Hey, everyone. My name is DM Steve or Steve Wen. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at D-E-E-M Steve. That's DMC phonetically. Uh, I'm one of the co-hosts on Age Represents. Uh, I'm uh, a fitness enthusiast. I love gaming, RPGs, all the good stuff. Um, I'm a cosplayer. I do a whole bunch of stuff. I'm all over the place. Yeah, uh, all over the place. Uh, so let's talk about the the place that um, first like got me really interested to talk to you. Just for our audience, just a brief overview. What is Asians Represent and um, why would someone listen to a podcast like that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Asians Represent is a podcast like you mentioned. Uh, it focuses on Asian representation in various you know, pop culture and media spheres. Uh, I think we kind of started off with tabletop RPGs, but we do talk about movies, video games, all that kind of stuff. Uh, specifically, we just really want to highlight other Asian voices. Uh, we want to hear everyone's thoughts and opinions and really help to deconstruct a lot of stereotypes, misconceptions um, uh, that we see in media spheres, as well as deconstruct um, you know, harmful tropes and where they come from and what we can do to do better. Yeah, I guess um, I guess tabletop RPGs eventually ran out of bad Asian stereotypes for you to look over. Is that... And then you had to turn it... Uh. <laughs> Uh, uh, okay, well, <laughs> the answer is no. Uh, there's still a lot of like pretty heinous stuff going on. Um, but the fact is, one of the first when I first got involved with Asians Represent, um, Daniel wanted me to to help out with a small series where we read through Oriel's Adventures and like deconstructed mm -hmm. it. And we did that. Then we did a read through of Legends of the Five Rings. Uh, we tried out doing some readings of like Kindred of the East for Empire the Masquerade. And what we quickly realized was that it was really couched in like a lot of negativity. Like we could always complain about these kind of things. We always look back on them and be like, this makes us very uncomfortable. Here's the reasons why. But it was really hard uh, at that point to, to really talk about positivity and how to move forward from it. So although I think those series are great because you can really listen in and hear some really vulnerable, true feelings about how this kind of text impacts people. I think that at least for us, for now, <laughs> That's just in the past. We want to focus more on positivity. We want to focus more on kind of the wins in the community rather than these really heinous L's. That said, you know, we do see every once in a while something pop up. I'm like, hey, it's 2023. Maybe don't do like your Ninja Wizard Academy. Take a photo with all of you doing like weird like yoga poses and stuff. I, I, I don't know. If that's, that I don't know. Like yeah, I think I think that was probably a misstep. And it's just it's just wild because, you know, in the 80s, you kind of expect that it was wrong right. then it is wrong now. But then it's 2023 and we're still doing this. And it's like, yeah, listen to the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Um, did did Asians represent ever cover Bloodsport? Uh, we did not, though I okay. am aware. And Bloodsport has like this this great part, like in my heart where I'm like, I love it. But also I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, it's a, it's a guilty pleasure for me as well. Um, I have the, I have a tank top that I bought years ago that I still have. It has like the, it's the Kumite and it's got the, the bad guy and Jean-Claude on it. But yeah, and the more I found out about that movie, it's like, this is like whole cloth, someone just ripping Asian culture and like, it. The, do, you, do you know the whole story about the guy who wrote it? I actually don't. And I would love to oh. hear a little bit of it. Okay, okay, okay. So uh this so this fucking guy um was a con artist and he pitched this story as true that's why it says in the movie like based on a true story and he like shopped this around and then he opened like a ninjutsu academy for a while and was conning people into like teaching he was one of those fake martial artists 
And like that, that's like the guy who originally like pitched the story and like what it's about. And it's about himself that he posed as like being this, the Kumite master or whatever, who's played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. But <laughs> yeah, like it, it can both be a really entertaining piece of media, which it in large, largely large parts is, but it can also be in couch and you can critically read it as why did we pull on these specific tropes? Why are they presented in the way they are? What does it do to promote like white characters? How does it promote Asian characters and how does it do the opposite for both of them and how does it intersect their vis- visible identities you could do an entire episode I love this I gotta write this down <laughs> you could let's for yeah you gotta you gotta do an entire episode of let's for please I I would listen to it uh I am <laughs> I'm so excited to learn more about blood sport <laughs> oh man yeah we'll sit down watch it and do like a critical read of it yeah 100 <laughs> yeah it's um it's got so it's got a lot of stuff in it where I I just recently watched it. I of course I was high when I when I did. So I rewatched it, uh, which is how I spend most of my off time to decompress, but that's not ideal. <sighs> See, that's, that's so fast. I recently watched Enter the Dragon again, and it right. has that same kind of uh interesting like history where you know they didn't write the ending yet um they have these three main actors you can see it when you watch it and it's a black Mm -hmm. guy a white guy and bruce lee and it's so interesting to see how the camera frames their bodies uh differently based on what audiences expect the black character and the asian character they have to be shirtless a ton of the time they have to be kind of this hyper masculine sexualized like piece for spectacle and the white guy never does Right. And and yet the audience, or at least when I view it, the audience still understands that he's still like a suave, masculine person. He just didn't have to take a shirt off for it. And I'm like, wow, right. that's like really, really interesting. And we should probably talk about that more because subconscious way of navigating art, you know, says a lot about how we will navigate future art and future uh, scenarios. Brief pith, pithy joke. Uh, Chuck Norris kind of already wears a sweater, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's very true. But that was that was Return of the Dragon. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yes, gotcha. yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that um I haven't seen Enter the Dragon in, in a long time. Uh I would I probably need to rewatch it. That's that seems like good material for when I'm high, to be honest, uh, there's Absolutely. there's certain there's there's certain media that's just way better when you're high. And like, for instance, like I was I was trying to watch like the DC. Uh, mo- are, are you a DC fan? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean the okay. Justice League, the Snyder's one? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to watch those, and I just I couldn't get into them while sober. And then I and then I got high, and I was like, this is this is good for when you're high. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it while I was high, but I couldn't do them sober. I think it was trying to to do a drinking game with um justice league but that's like four hours by, by the halfway point i'm like guys I'm, I'm tapping out i'm just gonna like veg out and watch the rest of this yeah um yeah it, i i don't know like there's there was something about the dc movies in this like new generation of them that just didn't quite connect there's something about them that just wasn't good and that isn't to say that the marvel movies were much better most of them are not good so i find i like very few superhero movies in general because they feel kind of disconnected and not i don't know i'm just not i just don't like them i don't know i don't know how to quite define them what do you like about superhero movies so i think like for snyder specifically justice league the thing that i like about it are a lot of the frames they could like be paintings right they could just like Uh... you could stop it and be like wow that's a great thing to look at uh and then as the movie keeps going, you just constantly are looking at paintings. It's like looking at like, you know, four million paintings over four hours. And yeah. no kidding, it makes you exhausted. Like you're watching it and like by the by the three millionth painting you've seen, you're like, I need a break. Like I need I need something to 
And I think Marvel movies are good because they give you a break. You'll have like uh, a really intense visual scene and then you'll have something a little more mundane, people eating food and just like chatting. So you Mm kind of get like that ebb and flow and it feels a little bit more well paced. But like the the cost of that is that, you know, they've used a formula. So you know that after this scene is over, they're going to go get a sandwich and they're going to eat and they're going to have jokes. And then it's going to cut back to like the villain and the villain's going to have some quips. Um, and they're probably going to say something that's pretty like memeable. And then you're going to get an action scene. That's really smart. You know a lot about film. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Um, I don't know if I know a lot about it, but I definitely like I'm watching it. I'm like, I'm feeling things and I'm going to sit with my feelings and I'm going to think about them. I guess makes me into makes me a film buff, but I don't know. That seems like a low bar. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that that makes sense with the um, with the Snyder take as well. I think it felt to me like a lot of the scenes were constructed with the visuals in mind rather than the content, um, because it felt like a lot of the scenes were just very kind of stilted and like sort of meant to be like very grand and like interesting visually rather than the what is actually happening here is it compelling or not um interestingly enough i think those like dc snyder type things they're a lot like season one of ruby where you have these amazing fight scenes by monty um rest in peace and then you have all the connected tissue and the connected tissue is boring and slapped together and not really good um Mm -hmm. and you're just like begging for like the next really really good spectacle scene and you get it and then you're just kind of stuck in like a waiting period again it's like well oh not the best experience i you know what show i've been watching recently that i love is barry um barry Barry. Uh, it's got um, that one guy from SNL. I'm just going to look it up uh, real quick. Uh, not, so not, not Bill Hader. It's, uh, yeah, it's Bill Hader. It is Bill Hader. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it just came out. The fourth season just came out. Um, it's almost, I think it's almost done with the fourth season. So we have like a few more episodes or something. But um, it's dark comedy. It's so absolutely just over the top funny, but it's character actor funny. So it's like, it's such a great like uh, as far as hbo show go like this is one of my favorite shows of all time that hbo has put out yeah that one gets recommended to me like all the time <laughs> like people recommend <laughs> that and ted lasso to me i'm like uh i only have oh, so yeah. hours in a day yeah yeah fair enough um i still have to watch the new thing of uh ted lasso ted lasso is like a good feel good show when i'm just like you know i'm kind of sad so i'm gonna turn on ted lasso and i'm gonna feel better it's such, Minus- it's so yeah, my understanding is that they're both like very character driven and that uh-huh. was like their strength they're like we're gonna invest all our time into making characters that are you know memorable and likable and audiences really connect with them and then the rest kind of falls out of it i'm like that's a really interesting way to, to do a lot of series yeah that's like the opposite of i just started watching uh succession and that's like the opposite where i hate every single one of them but i'm compelled to watch the show because they're such horrible people <laughs> Yep. It's kind of like reality re- reality TV drama in that way. Um, okay, so uh, we got we got a little off track, but so Asians represent um, you moving forward and you um, with both the show and like your own work in the community. Um, I'm curious to talk to you about what you feel like the how the role of like the community manager is sort of evolving, and not just in the sense that they have another hat to put on their head, but um, how is being a community manager in 2023 different than like, let's say even 2015. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm the, one of the community managers for the Asian represent discord. Um, and what we had to do kind of early on, about three years ago, when we kind of spun it up, you know, we started off where everyone else does, where you have a, a discord open invites, everyone like come chill. The rules are like, don't be a dick to each other. And very quickly on, I could kind of see that if this was going to be scalable and sustainable, we couldn't just keep progressing on this kind of lackadaisical. We unfortunately needed to actually 
manage the community a little bit. Luckily, with the support of the rest of the team, you know, I took this kind of more uh, managerial uh, aspect and I started writing out documentation. In the event that something like this happens, here's how we do it. Uh, here are our guidelines for how we reach out to people uh, to give them warnings and what our core values are and what our mission statement is. And then as I kind of started writing all these kind of things and these documentations, they all point back to kind of mission statement, North Star statement, that kind of stuff. It sounds really, really boring. And in many ways it is. I think when it comes to being a community manager, one of the most important things to, to understand, especially as we move forward, is that things scale faster than I think they've ever scaled before because of the how great the internet is. Um, so a community could be 10 people, then the next day 20, and then the next day 200. And will you have kind of structures and processes in place? And it's fine if you don't to be quite honest, but even just recognizing and acknowledging that there will be weaknesses in what you're building and knowing that we need to keep an eye on it and shore them up as soon as we start seeing cracks, as soon as we start feeling a little, a little bit of give, it's probably a really good place to be and probably better than most communities out there, especially the ones that you kind of see and then kind of fizzle after a year or so, which is really, really common. Most communities that I see kind of implode, especially in tabletop, it's like based on the cult of personality rather than the that rather than having an actual like community standard built. A lot of the time I see uh, when communities sort of falter in that way, it's sort of built up around a group of individuals or one person having having uh, more if the respect it doesn't ever go like both both ways, I think that's like the the sort of like general statement I could say about like when communities really fall apart is when I see uh, community leaders who who aren't being intentionally kind to people. Um, mm -hmm. And that that tends to like, I, I think notably, and this is like infamous in like the actual play space, it's like, we'll have some drama come out about these two individuals and then like, and then it blows everything up because like there was at no point was this behavior like sort of in line with what once once the personality blows up then uh or the the personality is exposed for bad behavior then there's nothing really to keep the community together at that point it's interesting you mentioned respect because i think that's a huge 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 part of it but for me i try to use more of like accountability and expectation setting and the reason is because i'm a extremely emotional person so if it's just like a matter of respect i'm getting really really emotionally invested and the moment that respect is kind of tarnished or harmed i'm going to be like in all kinds of emotional spirals so all the documentation and stuff i do is so that i can have something that has no emotions so i can read it recollect myself reground myself and say like when steve wasn't you know so high on you know being trying to make everyone happy and trying to please everyone what he had written was our goals are this our values are this and we're always going to try to do this and then by looking at those you know i get to take a second read through it and then maybe i take those and i go back to the other team members and i say hey i'm very emotional about this based on kind of what is written here my thoughts on how to proceed what is everyone else's thoughts and that tends to really diffuse a lot of the emotions and allows us to kind of make decisions that are a little bit easier to make and definitely less emotionally exhausting to make yeah um yeah <laughs> I, i'm an i'm an emotional person too um that's actually like when i like build my teams and stuff like a big part for me is like trying to surround myself with people who are going to talk me talk me off the ledge of like you know going uh you know just flying off the handle at people um not to say that i'm emotionally unstable but i am on hrt so like that was something that i had to come to grips with was like i put hormones into my body every single day so like my emotional level is usually fairly high um or it can be uh the other part is um that's just 
who I've always been as well. Um, throughout my life, I've always kind of been like in a very emotional person. So um, if I'm not being emotional, it's because I'm like masking um, intentionally uh, in order to not get hurt. But um, for the most part, like for me, and one of the reasons why I've had to either leave communities or um, protect myself, it's been because I don't like to... I can I can put up a front that I don't care about what people um, say about me or if they're negative to me, but like that that shit weighs on me. So like I just can't I just can't deal with it for an extended period of time or like not clap back. Like if someone um, harasses me, then I want to defend myself, and that sort of thing is like frowned upon in most community spaces because you're supposed to take the high road and you're supposed to like not con uh, conflict with other people when like i don't know that motherfucker's rude and he smells like uh you know what i'm saying like i should be able to say that uh but you know i just remove myself now you know having that high emotion especially to like to start off with uh it took me a real long time to come to terms with it uh but i really see it as like one of my strengths rather than a weakness uh it can of course get me in a lot of hot water but you know being so able to feel emotions like that i think is so great because it drives me to do other things so like i i mean i've seen you know harassment i've been on the other the end of harassment and if i'm able to and if i'm in the good enough space i often can use that and redirect that energy towards um feedback for community managers um you know journaling about it in a way that is more constructive or just like planning for the future i'm making it sound way easier than it actually is um but there are definitely been times where you know i've sent emails to organizations or to people in, in decision making positions and i'm like this thing happened i'd like you to be aware of it and the reason i want you to be aware of it is because i feel like you and i are aligned that your community should be striving towards these things and that's like a very professional businessy way of saying i'm really pissed off and i'm holding my my tongue and you need to hear this i was sorry i was just smiling because i just thought it was like i just imagined you with your journal and just like seriously writing just like that bitch chelsea like yeah yes <laughs> these days it's now like a google doc that is like deep deep in like the, the bowels of my drive but um yeah no it, it it helps sometimes no i can totally see that because like a lot of the time when i get emotional i really just want to talk to a friend and like vent real quick and just be like this motherfucker like said this and this and like or this person did this and it's just like or whatever i just got to talk about the latest drama and like that's once i get that out of the way then i'm just like okay i'm cool i don't care about it anymore <laughs> like i'm just over it so my, my secret here's here's the secret sauce for me uh -huh. i have a google document called twitter threads and it's <laughs> full of twitter threads that never get published uh, oh, I'm, wow. I'm just like sometimes i'll get so hung up i'll be like i need to make a twitter thread about this and i'll write it down and then i'll stop and i'll read it or i'll have someone review it and i'll be like that should absolutely not be published like this is like nonsensical it's really easy to misconstrue my point's not clear but i feel better and then i just don't look at it anymore oh talk about the place where your post can be taken as really bad faith like twitter oh my gosh like it's stressful sometimes um being at that point where like people look at your tweets and stuff and like they actually want to give their opinion about it and especially with twitter lately i mean they, uh, as of recording we're we're in may 2023 it'll probably be like august or something when this post maybe july or two 
Um, I'll have to check. I forget. I, I don't even think about the podcast until I'm shooting it um, or scheduling it. Uh, but yeah, and, and especially since uh, right now the algorithm really favors comments. So that means because the algorithm favors comments, it favors everyone's shitty, stupid, like reply guy bullshit that like totally doesn't need to be a part of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I know when I leave like the, you know, like when you're when your tweets like leave your sphere, like yeah. <laughs> I could just look at the comments like, oh, OK, I'm I'm no longer among friends <laughs> this yeah is... which is i know i know in your line of business and like your passions and whatnot sometimes that is what you want like you do want it to kind of leave your sphere because they're meant to be more general educational um type of threads and resources and that's really really good but yeah you're absolutely right twitter is a machine meant to human shit directly back at you um yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah yeah i yeah it's one of those things like i remember some of my um threads and like my posts this year this past year they would go really big because like i would get i would receive like 30 shitty stupid replies so they would boost me in the algo which was nice but like at the same time i'm just like and then there's this weird thing where i still haven't quite figured out about what i want to do with like personal responsibility and like quoting people or like uh qrting people and like dealing with that because like i personally i'm of the opinion and you don't have to give your opinion if you don't want you don't have to go on record on this Mm -hmm. but i'm of the opinion at this point like i don't care if you have three fucking followers and you say something shitty to me i'm gonna quote tweet you like because you're on my comments you're you're talking to me like you're not like anyway i don't understand how people can like that's like someone like like if you walked up like understand that like people separate in their minds because it's like social media or whatever i can't even imagine someone like going through this thought process of like going up to someone and saying that to their face and then being mad that they say something back like i can't i can't fathom that but it's it's definitely very tricky you mentioned like you quote retweet them and you kind of like do the dunk and i get that because obviously i've engaged in that in the past and it has made me feel really good it has that like moment of catharsis as time goes on you know i really reflect on is like is this sustainable is this really what i want to be doing with my time um what's my other option? And, you know, oftentimes the mm-hmm. option is, um, which is a right. great option because then all my energy is my own and I get to spend that how I want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I'm, I'm trying to get less into it. Um, I think, um, what caught me recently was, um, I was commenting on a conversation that I didn't know the full context of and I got in trouble, yep. uh, because of reasons, um, that I apologize for, but I won't, I won't get into that because then I don't want people and- quoting this podcast. <laughs> And and you're you're also in a interesting position that not everyone is in, where Twitter is also part of your main marketing tool set. So you know, unfortunately, having the algorithm look kindly upon you is kind of part and parcel of your role. And that does mean, unfortunately, because of the platform, that you do need to at points engage with the absolute dregs of that platform. And that's by design. <laughs> Yeah. sucks and i think i think anyone that you know is looking to use twitter as a marketing tool needs to just kind of unfortunately accept it uh you're going to have to touch human feces every once mm-hmm. in a while and if you don't then you're gonna have a harder time getting your name out there which yeah what a disgusting thing for me to just say out loud but that is, is how i see um that platform it is it is really disgusting it's there's diarrhea everywhere all over twitter right now especially because Elon's over there just spewing anti-Semitic shit. Like, it's just like, what do you... Bruh, like, can you just not? 
Oh, gosh. Um, it makes me so upset because, like, I was so happy with the platform even last year. And I know a lot of people have reasons to not be happy with the platform, especially, like, for instance, my, like, um, my narrative designer and someone I work with a lot, Kiana Shaw, like, received a lot of harassment from Twitter because, you know, Kiana talked about safety tools. <laughs> and that was apparently... Uh, you know, some some sin against RPGs back in the day. I think it was 2020, 2019. But um, yeah, I just, I think for the most part, there's, for me now, I I, I look at it as the, the first draft of my other content when I am making content now um, so that I'm still saving that stuff. And I look at this stuff that does well on Twitter and I'm like, okay, well, this probably would be a good blog post. This probably would be a good newsletter or maybe I'll turn this into a YouTube, uh, YouTube video. And that's how I'm trying to look at it now so that I don't feel like I'm just shooting this into the ether and like, I'm just like listening to all these shitty people like reply to me. You know, that, and that's all, that's also a really good kind of way of framing it where you can take that frustration and you can like transform it and make something new about it. And then you have the power to decide, should that go on Twitter, that hate machine that is, uh, or YouTube, which is a different kind of hate machine. Um, mm -hmm or TikTok or, or what have, whatever. And you have this power to make those decisions. And sometimes that decision will be wrong, uh, but sometimes you'll get it right. And that's always a really great feeling. Yeah, I, um, yeah, wow, YouTube. Um, the next thing to be afraid of, um, I'm starting I'm starting up my YouTube channel again because I, I took a break for so long because I was doing other stuff, but I'm actually scheduled to shoot my YouTube video uh, tomorrow. So, um, and, I'm, and I'm just hiring out for an editor, which I know most people don't have the luxury of, but, um, Literally, like the money that I get from Patreon. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can support me on patreon.com slash isfriday. And then that'll help me pay for my editor for both the podcast and then YouTube videos that I have. And it really just goes straight to straight to Kurt, my uh, my editor. But yeah, so I, I'm looking at like um, building up my YouTube and things like that. And that is totally a different beast because I see some of the like, there's a weird subset of YouTube in TTRPG that's like, alt-right is the best way to describe them because that's what they are uh and they regularly like make content that literally just hates on people and it's like just very i guess depressing it just seems very depressing i don't know yeah. i'm waiting i'm waiting for me to pop up on uh some of these channels because like they've been targeting a lot of my friends and like people that i work with and it's like okay well when is my when is it my opportunity to be slandered by uh these hateful people yeah it, it's definitely jarring it takes getting used to no one should have to get used to but it does get you do get used to seeing your face kind of plastered on thumbnails and whatnot and you're like wow like this is extremely hateful and then there's always that itch that human itch to click on it and hate watch yourself but you know obviously i think it's very clear that hate watching yourself probably has very little value in the grand scheme of things and you know, sometimes you got to really like work through those emotions and, and figure it out. And that is what I mean by YouTube being like a hate machine. It's, yeah. uh, it could be really, really harmful. Um, yeah. I mean, that said, YouTube has this kind of interesting way of allowing people to do long form visual media. And if the goal is to illustrate uh, a certain point of view and like make arguments and present things in a certain way, YouTube is a really great way of doing it because visual medium just kind of has a special kind of power over people. And then, of course, you know, the level up from that is actual genuine human conversation, talking to someone, having them connect with you, connect the dots, extend those thoughts, make more connections, so on and so forth. But that one is just not sustainable. You can't have a conversation yeah. with every single comment through there. Well, you have to 
kind of accept. I had someone come up to me in public the other day and recognize me. Uh, that was weird. Uh, I, I'm only used to that at conventions because that's normally when people recognize me and they're like, are you Friday from Twitter? I'm like, yes, I am. I'm that bitch. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was weird. He he wasn't weird, but I was with my kids in a donut shop um, and he was just nice about it. But it was it was weird because I, I live in a small town. So it was like, but I, I am near Seattle. So I mean, like there's a ton of us board game people up here. So but yeah, what I was going to say about, um, you know, some of those like disconnecting from those communities and like sort of cutting that out of my life and not being um, able to see it anymore, honestly, has had vastly improved my health. One of the reasons why I ended up leaving the SPG server was it was just causing me some so much stress because people were trying to pull me into these um, these conversations um, uh, that I didn't want to have. And like people were like mocking me and harassing me and stuff like that on the server. And once I just cut it out, I was just like, it was such a weight lifted off my uh, shoulders that I just didn't have to deal with anymore. It's great. I, I'm I'm told I'm told um, I haven't been back, but I'm told that sometimes they still talk about me and I'm just like, OK, they can fucking they follow my Twitter feed just to fucking their hate in the discord about like what I'm talking about. I'm just like, oh, my God, like get over me. You're so obsessed. Yeah, that. And I'm glad you have that reminder because it's absolutely it costs you zero energy to to hear about this and you move on. But they're expending cycles and cycles of their time doing this, and it's you know it, it's I don't want to say pitiful, but I do pity them. Um, yeah. In that you know I I'm sure there's other things you'd rather do with your time, um, but you're kind of stuck in this kind of situation, and you're with these other people that encourage you to engage with that level of toxicity, um, not to mention, you know, the administrators and managers of the SPG space, this behavior has ripple effects. And oftentimes the effects it has cannot be seen in a Discord server. Uh, mm-hmm. And I talked about this with Asian percent Discord and things like that. If someone says something like that, and it's really toxic, chances are what will end up happening is people will just leave and not say anything. And they will just encourage more people to join the conversation in this toxic way. And very slowly with nothing being shown on the surface, you've just kind of created a is based around that kind of behavior probably not what you want that's what they have right now yeah and that's what i hear from the other people who are still in there it's like there's just a bunch of really spiteful unhelpful people um in that community who just create a lot of noise and don't help people as much as they you know what was the atmosphere last year even and that is not to say that I don't think SPG does a great job. They're just they just don't have enough people to moderate it. It's the one it's the one or two people. And I don't blame some of them for not wanting to moderate it because it's like it's terrible. It's actively like you have all these people who are rules lawyers who are trying to skirt the community rules constantly. <laughs> Exhausting, honestly. And then you have to deal with the fact that um you know, if you if you start like handing down really severe crackdowns as a company, then you're going to end up like creating some false sense of like, um, I guess, witch hunt, you know, against mm-hmm. some of these people, because that's what they'll call it. They'll say like, you know, this is a witch hunt and all this stuff, because I know some of those people are, but it's not an easy problem to solve. They, they just need more money. So I think that's what it boils down to. They just need more two people that they can hire like part time. Uh, they just don't have that uh, capacity right now, unfortunately, for them. How, how have you um, 
How have you kind of uh, dealt with that or seen that dealt with as far as like super big communities? Like, what do you think is the best way to sort of approach um, accountability, like you said, and enforcement? What's really important is to have goals and expectations in mind and as as and be as transparent as possible with them. When people join your community, they should know what the community's core values are before even engaging with people. Now, most people obviously kind of glance at them and kind of move on. And that's fine. That's not the purpose of the core values. The purpose of those core values is that if you need to, you can point back to them. You can tap the sign as it were. As a reminder, we typically don't engage in conversations this way. Instead, we engage with them. That probably sounds like very, you know, parent talking to a child. Um, I think that's good because what it does is it kind of removes a lot of the energy that moderators need to spend on these kind of things. And they can just kind of tap signs rather than have deep conversations. We talked about money and time, and obviously that's going to be a constraint. No matter how much you have, you're going to be constrained by something. So you want to spend that energy, that time, that money as efficiently as you possibly can. And one way of doing that is making sure you have tools that are sustainable, that don't require a lot of input, that can bring some value to it. That can, of course, and as like a word of caution, that can be taken to an extreme. So um, are you aware of the mod squad? Uh, yeah, I'm vaguely aware of them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a it's a paid service. You invite them to your server, you pay them a bunch of money and they moderate your server. And for like a lower tier of service, they will just copy and paste rules and then delete messages. Um, that is a horrible uh, like user experience because what will end up happening is they'll just like say a thing like reminder rule uh, and then you'll just see a bunch of messages being deleted and then you'll see people like asking questions and be like, can I get some clarification? And then you'll start seeing mutes and bans and that is taken to like a really unhealthy extreme where now you're kind of punishing people and you're creating resentment. And when you do that, Typically what happens is people hold on to the resentment and they find different ways to lash out. And that's not what you want. What you want is you want to guide the community. You don't want to strap them in and constrain them. This was like a really roundabout answer <laughs> to say that I think try to make as consistent as possible. Having goals and expectations clearly defined is where you need to start. And then at least you've got that foundation. You can start making decisions that hopefully are a little bit more grounded and probably more importantly, people can kind of align and look back to so that we kind of stay on the same page. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think um, the so I've seen that play out actually in a community before I was a part of a role playing community for must have been like 15 years. And the the administrators had like kind of a role is like both the, the storytellers and then also the administrators and they had sort of a hands off like, um, I'm only going to enforce the rules and then like not communicate uh, the specifics of those rules. And like, there's all this kind of secrecy, everything's done behind like closed doors. And that was an incredibly toxic community because it was, it was very difficult to, um, and of course, you know, no surprise to anyone in the community. Some of those administrators were abusing their power and like some of them were doing really heinous stuff through to no one's surprise because like when you try to bring this stuff up in public, they would literally ban you. Like if you tried to bring up any sort of anything that might have been like communication between you and staff members, they will fucking ban you. And that's like the worst, that that was the worst, most toxic, abusive community that I had ever been a part of. And I, I guess I finally like had had enough after like, you know, being a victim of abuse for... Uh, you know, as, as much as one can, like in a role playing setting, I mean, which is still abuse, but I just don't mean like I didn't have any physical interactions with these people. Yeah, it is wild. Like some people get like this little modicum of power, this little, this little granular salt fucking bit of power. And like they completely lose it. Uh, awful. Truly awful. Okay. All right. We're going to, I'm going <laughs> to try and move on. <laughs> 
you've done some you've done some consulting and you've done some writing um for unbreakable what was your what was your piece uh for unbreakable and like you want to talk about that yeah for sure so on unbreakable volume one i was one of the writers editors uh i wrote uh, a vietnamese inspired adventure one shot uh it was called hearts of flame at lambing um it was my take on just climb a mountain do a dungeon fight a monster uh very like crunchy we're just gonna fight our way through this um and i i really enjoyed writing that one because uh, i have this like very visceral memory of being in vietnam when i was a teenager and climbing a mountain um and just hating my life it's 100 percent community um there's no path i'm like crawling up like these muddy as grabbing bamboos and like pulling myself up and at the end of it there's like a temple there and the only way to get to the temple is to sweat your way to it and that was like a very impactful uh moment for me where you know it really put into perspective um sometimes you can put a lot of work in and you can use that work to make really, really amazing things, but you kind of have to have a focus on it. So, you know, these these builders, these monks, they had a focus and they were like, we're gonna build a temple on top of this mountain and it's gonna be impossible to get to. And that's what we want. And I'm like, great, that's amazing. Um, so I wrote this adventure all about monks that live on a temple at the top of a mountain and you fight your way up there and then you try your best to save the monks. And yeah, it's just like, it's a good old punch in time. That sounds great. Um, that makes me wonder like, so there must've been like heavy ass materials to build this. <laughs> This temple that you went to as a kid, right? What was yeah. it made of? Was it made of stone or was it like made of wood or? It was all made of stone and wood. Oh my yeah. God. Oh my God. <laughs> it's it's wild. It, you know, it was the, it was probably built in like the fifties probably. So they probably had the help of like machines and, and diesel powered engines and things like that. Um, so maybe they could help it there. But at the end of the day, put it, putting a building on top of a mountain is never an easy thing to do. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was just, it was just great, and the the spec and the fact that they didn't make it easy for you to get there either. They're like, we spent a ton of time and money and power building this. You're gonna work for it. Yeah, um, that was kind of special. I like that. Not did very accessible, have, but yeah. Did they have plumbing or? Um, so I believe they had, I didn't use the washer mills out there, but I believe they had latrines, but they did not have running water, which was okay. pretty typical. You just yeah. like collect rainwater and things like that. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. It, it, it rains a lot of me, you know, uh, doesn't it? Uh, when it's, t- when it's monsoon season. Yes. Okay. So okay. it can get, it can get pretty wild there, uh, but it's never typically dry. Like even the dry seasons, like the winter months, uh-huh. um, it's not really that dry. Of course, you know, it's a, it's a big country too. So like, yeah, um, it depends on where you are, your, your, your right. latitude, how high up, things like that. But in general, it's a pretty tropical country. Did you, um, uh, you don't have to answer this if you don't want, did you, did you grow up there? Or did you just have family there? Or were you visiting or like? No, I'm happy to talk about this. So both my parents are refugees from the Vietnam war. Um, so they left Vietnam just as things were getting really, really bad. They have their own separate stories. They didn't meet in Vietnam. They actually met, uh-huh. um, but I've only recently begun to, uh, talk to them and give them enough space to help them deconstruct like all that trauma, which I don't think they ever really unpacked. Um, mm-hmm. But going to refugee camps, the the cost of getting to those camps, the people did, that didn't make it, having to wait in a camp for, you know, an auspicious day when uh, Pierre Trudeau was like, you can come over to Canada uh, and they get packed into a plane and they get shipped off and they don't speak the language and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I was born in the late 80s um, in uh, in Canada, in Ontario, and I was first generation here. Um, and my parents learned English from work, from friends, uh, not too much family because they had to come over separately, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that that's I only go I've only been to Vietnam like four times in my life. Oh, OK, OK, very cool. Um yeah, I started to I started to get emotional about that because I used to. Uh, yeah, I have really mixed feelings about having been in the Marine Corps. Um, 
you know, and the effects of the imperialism. It, it was really interesting because my last trip to Vietnam was uh, it was this year. So I spent two weeks there and I went and I did a lot more war museums and things like that. Because way back then, I just wasn't ready for that. So yeah. I went through and I did all these war museums and I, I learned more about the Vietnamese military, the various factions, who was leading, who was talking, all that kind of stuff. And then a couple of weeks after I came back, I went to San Diego and I went to the USS uh, Midway which is like a big tourist thing. And they talked a lot about the Vietnam War and kind of, you know, these operations they had to save refugees. And I'm like, wow, I've just heard the same story from two completely different angles and they don't line up. Like there were some things that were true and I believe that they actually did happen. But then I'm, I'm, I'm absor absorbing all of this media, this propaganda. And I'm like, I don't really know what to believe right now. Um, and I don't know who to talk to to help deconstruct that. So it was yeah. very, very interesting. So I, I got out, um, it's been two years now. Uh, I got it two years ago. I haven't cut my hair since. Look at it. But uh, I'm gonna get a haircut soon, just to like trim it or whatever. But um, the uh, yeah, when I when I was in, I mean, like obviously my perspective was really shaped by like the American imperial like viewpoint. And the the further that I get away from uh, the Marine Corps and time wise, the less I enjoy like being associated with it because of you know all the other stuff. And it's someone asked me. I believed I was like doing the right thing when I was in the Marine Corps. And like, if I was like a good person or and, like we were good people and I was like thinking about it and I was like, well, no other way to survive in that organization. If you don't believe that you at least have to fool yourself into believing it because like the alternative is like misery, like for me to have, been in the Marine Corps and just think to myself, oh, it's time to go oppress some people or, you know, go ruin some people's lives. And it's just it's just weird to to really think about and sort of look back on like when when people say that and people don't, I suppose, ever want to admit this. And even to myself, like I I don't like to admit like the effects of like the the culture and the very I would say subtle brainwashing, but it's like at a certain point, like it it truly is because in and it doesn't necessarily matter if you inherently believe it or not, because regardless of what your personal beliefs are, you're still within the machine, and the machine is doing a particular thing that you have no say in. That that that's that question of like, did you think you were a good person? Feels so unfair to me. Like it's a valid question, but I think it kind of. Right puts onus unduly on individuals when truly if the intent of the question is to begin to deconstruct and understand the system, we should be looking at a wider terms. Yes, the individual contributors obviously have a part of the problem and they, they are participating in it. How is the overall system built, constructed, supported? And how do people get brought into it and all these other complexities? And I just feel like asking an individual person if they thought they were a good person misses the point on a lot of stuff uh, and just feels like you're just trying to pick a fight at that point. Like you're just trying to hurt someone. <laughs> and and I and I've kind of come to that conclusion cuz like when I guess we could talk about Twitter drama briefly if you're okay with that. I'm okay with talking about it, but um like we had um an individual who's an active duty person that was heavily criticized by um a lot of people uh for receiving an award because they felt as though someone who was uh currently serving the military did not uh, should not be highlighted by the community, right? And um I felt a lot of that criticism like was also aimed at me because I was a careerist. I was in 13 years. I did not make a mistake and like get out immediately. I fully invested myself in it. And I could make a bunch of excuses to you like, um, you know, it was like me chasing gender and all this other stuff, which it was. 
um, that doesn't necessarily matter because I made the active choice to continue that lifestyle, whatever my reasons were. So I feel like um, the perspective from from my end is like, and I saw it. Um, I saw his like statement in response to a lot of the criticism, and he's. I think he's generally probably a really great guy. I've never talked to him uh, personally, but it was just one. It's just one of those things where it's like, if we've got to have somebody in the military, like probably want that guy as opposed to someone else. You know what I mean? Like we're not the military isn't going away. Like unfortunately, so. I don't know, necessary of the world, perhaps, but and I have a lot of bones to pick with like American policy about how they do stuff, obviously. But yeah, I mean, I had complex feelings about the whole drama situation, and I I didn't say a single piece about it uh, online because, frankly, my emotions remain to this day very tangled. Uh, I think I made it pretty clear that I think the military has a lot of power and uses that power in very irresponsible ways, especially yeah. coming from uh, a child of. At the same time, I have family in Vietnam, and they have to serve in the military. They don't get a choice in that so you know we talk about these morals and the ethics at the individual level and i think when you're talking about the global south specifically from my experience the vietnamese uh citizenship you know there's more nuance than just i have chosen to be a military person there's like consequences and things like that and there's other systems of power that you need to engage with and frankly you know this award and whatnot is probably not the best framing device to talk about these very very deep nuanced and complicated uh situations I think it's a it's if that was how someone was going to begin their education on military complexes and all the nuances in that, I just don't think tearing down people individually is really aligned with the goal of critically examining systems of oppression. You know, honestly, since I've um, since I've left the military and I've like had a lot of because I spent my pretty much my entire adult life in the military, like 20 to 33, I was in the military and um it's been a really I've learned I've learned a lot to be honest with you I've learned a lot uh so I um one of the things uh that I feel like I is most important that I continue to practice at least as best I can is like just listening um, yeah. is one of the best things that I have uh since learned because it's so strange to like be the hyper masculine person uh and be in that professional role where i was like a platoon sergeant or an operations chief and like people were turning to me for the answers or what to do and frequently that is how like i sort of built up my entire persona it was like a fake persona of course it was just like who i was masking but that's what my life was until i got out was like i had a bunch of 18 to 24 year old men asking me like what to do about everything um and and uh, it's it's been interesting to sort of into the real world and then also be viewing uh, systems of oppression and systemic racism and like, um, you know, homophobia and transphobia and like seeing all these different interesting um, and valuable perspectives that were never a part of my life in my 20s. Thank you for sharing that because it's given me I'm, I'm sitting here in my thoughts and I love that feeling. I love when people they, they say something and I'm, I'm speechless and I know it comes off as very rude because I'm supposed to, you know, social contracts to like reply and be like, yeah, I understand. I agree. But what I'm doing here is I'm internalizing all of that because you're right. There's like so much going on that after this is done, I'm just going to like <laughs> feel, <laughs> which is good. It's good for your, it's good for the soul. No. Um, yeah. I mean, like, honestly, it's like there's 
there's so much one of the most valuable things that I've since done like since I got out was learning to reconnect with new people and one of the reasons why I really love this podcast is that it gives me an excuse to have um, a captive audience <laughs> in order to share my feelings <laughs> with um, but then also to hear other people's perspectives and their wisdom and I think one-on-one conversations where we're focused on one another is something that honestly we have lost uh, in a lot of ways because we always have something else going on or the next thing to get to in our lives. Um, I know it's easy for me to do this for various reasons, but I do still get a lot of joy of kind of going into restaurants and bars by myself and finding someone who I think would be like, okay to talk to and just strike up a conversation. There's other stuff going on that lets me do that. And that's not for everyone. Sometimes I do get to like talk to some wild people. Like I think it was like four years ago, this bar doesn't even exist anymore. I was talking to a guy and he owned like a diamond mine or like an emerald mine, like something like that. And I was like, wow, you're rich based off of like labor that you don't even understand. Yeah, And I was like talking to him, chatting, and like he really didn't have any idea about kind of like the human cost. And he had no concept of like even beginning that conversation. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting to meet a human being like that. You're like a comic, you're like a comic villain, but you don't even know. (laughs) And I didn't, I didn't, obviously I didn't say that to him, but I was like, wow, I met a human being that's like, you're like Lex Luthor. Like, (laughs) yeah, except like less aware. Yeah, that's so... That is interesting. Um, I was with you, though, until you said then you strike up conversations with people. I was like, yeah, I go into restaurants by myself all the time, too. Uh, I don't talk to anybody, though. <laughs> no, that's I understand that that is a thing that I can do comfortably and not everyone gets that. I think I um, wait. Let me think about this. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, I was definitely more comfortable um, striking up conversations with people when I was still presenting as a man because um, there's a lot more safety in that. Um, but like, yeah, sometimes I like. And it, it, maybe it happens less nowadays, but like sometimes I go into the corner store and like there will be like, and I live in kind of like a rural town. I don't mean to stereotype anyone, but you know, um, and there will be like six truckers in that convenience mart and they're all like staring at my tits or something. And I'm just like, okay, well, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> mm. but um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's also wild how my perspective has changed in the last couple of years. Uh, since coming out and like how I interact with people differently and like how people treat me a little bit differently and people over time I've noticed are starting as I become more feminine they are treating me more like a woman like over time and that is um that's kind of cool but yeah it's uh it's it's definitely something that I, I I think think about perhaps sometimes too much and I and I think it's important um I saw actually a comment by you once that stuck with me on Twitter um about Uh-oh. You know, no, it was good. Um, we, uh, it, it was about, um, if I remember correctly, it was about like we're talking about the hyper, uh, uh, the hyper masculine, uh, yes, uh, hyper masculine version of like Asian men, and um, how you have to sort of fit like this. You you have to uh, lift weights. You have to like be fit. You have to be like very macho, and you also have to know martial arts and stuff. And that's like a requirement by some people because of the way that media has trained them. And I believe your comment was um, in regards to that topic that if you 
are defining your own masculinity and you are defining yourself as a person and what you are proud to be, then you are no longer relying on other people to give you that power, that satisfaction, that confidence. That's something that a lot of men need to hear more of. Having been more vocal about fitness and things like that, and I, I generally present like as a fit person and, and people look at my body and like, wow, that's a person who's like put a lot of effort into it, not knowing there's some like other behind the scenes stuff going on, like Photoshop and diet and privilege when it comes to money uh, mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. At the end of it, yeah, I think the way you present and the way society expects you to present is extremely nuanced. And I think every single individual needs to spend time to just think about how that's affecting you and your choices and how that affects generally your happiness, your contentment, your satisfaction in life. Yeah, I, I, I talk about this a lot because, you know, the hyper-masculinity of, of being Asian uh, and a man is, is, is so wild because it intersects this kind of idea that, I'll, I'll tell the story. So the, the last time I was in this like smaller town, um, it was like a cowboy bar. So I showed up and a bunch of people just like wanted to pick fights with me. And I was like, I'm, I was like 19 at the time. And I was like, what? what is happening? Like, why is this going on? And it took me a really long time to figure out what's going on. And it was because I looked like a fit person. And what they were doing, these were white men, what they were doing was basically they wanted to pick a fight to prove their own masculinity, because no matter what happened, it would always reinforce their white masculinity, which is if they could beat me up, they got to say that I beat up an Asian man. And that has power because of association that, you know, genetically, I have like martial arts and this kind of stuff. like I'm predisposed to to kick an ass. Um, or if they lost one, they probably get their friends to beat me up and just gang up on me. But they couldn't actually lose because it was unfair to start with because I'm an Asian man. So no matter what the outcome of that through violence, they could they could define and reinforce their own masculine identity. And that took like years to figure out. But now that I understand it, and I understand like kind of where this is coming from. I can then take that energy, that outlook and look it back at myself. When I go to the gym and I work really, really hard and I, I diet and I um, maybe abstain from certain foods or things like that. Do I do that because I'm trying to uh, reach a certain external goal of what I think I need to be? Or am I doing it because it's like an internal thing that I really desire? And that is like an ongoing question. It's like an answer in progress, like forever, probably. Yeah. But I think it's good to have that. And I, one of the things that I'm afraid of is um, I have a couple of comments. Like first, like the, I shouldn't, but my problem is that a lot of white trans femmes are sex workers and they have amazing bodies. So, and they're all skinny. And like, one of the things that I do is directly opposite of like that sort of lifestyle and setting myself up for it. I power lift. So like, I'm not going to look like that, like ever. So like, I'm, I'm coming more to terms with like trying to find not necessarily trans femme people who look like me in order to like sort of model my self image a little bit better, but then also coming to terms with just being happy with the way that my body looks has been kind of a difficult road for me because I've never had that in my life because I went so long being in the closet and not understanding like the reason I'm not happy is because I'm not a woman not because because I never even used to like take my shirt off at the beach now I'm obviously really comfortable like you know when I'm you know wearing uh whatever I might be wearing it's a different kind of feeling even though I'm not skinny right now even though I'm not like in incredible shape right now I, I just work out a regular amount I don't have a, I don't have like a super solid diet right now. It's like, um, I'm a writer. Okay. So, <laughs> um, 
but uh i still feel good about my body more than i ever did uh as a man so like it's been it's been kind of a weird emotional journey but then the thing that on the flip side um to sort of i think connect with you a little bit um one of the things that i'm really afraid of is like with all the harassment of uh, uh trans people and um men treating me like men in order to um, sort of like protect someone because they see me as a threat or something like that. I'm afraid of that. Not because I can't defend myself. I can. Um, I've done martial arts for over 10 years. I'm fairly strong. I'm not worried about some fucking guy who doesn't know how to fight. I beat up plenty of people who don't know how to fight. It's not very difficult. Um, but there's also like the weapon question. Like if they have a weapon, then it's, you know, then it becomes deadly. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's something that I constantly have to worry about now, even though I live in Washington State, because like there's like microcosms of these like liberal hubs, like within like Seattle and maybe like Tacoma. But then everywhere else is very rural and pretty conservative. So like my interactions are, I think, strange at first with most people until they start to see me as a regular person. So my first few interactions with people are very kind of like they are sizing me up and they are trying to figure out if I am a threat. And that is my interaction with most people in my community. And it's sort of strange as well because my community like um as far as like you know the parents and stuff because i have school age kids all the parents know i'm trans i'm the one trans parent in the community i'm the one trans person in the neighborhood i'm the one trans person in my town that's like visibly trans so it's like it's very it's odd for me i feel i don't feel like threatened all the time i just feel very aware of everybody's attention on me all the time i think that's for a lot of people like an experience that's really hard to understand unless you've actually experienced it and even then you know your experience of being perceived in that way is gonna be different than my experience being perceived in that way because obviously we present differently and it's just like i think one goal that i have is to help people listen better <laughs> to, to 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 maybe push back on them when i feel like they're not actually listening uh but then to also give them encouragement and and, and uh, encouragement to continue trying to listen better these kinds of stories tabletop rpgs and other forms of media like that, that's a really, really good way to begin exercising that listening muscle, as it were. Um, I love this conversation. Um, <laughs> Me too. Uh, um, speaking of exercise, though, let's talk about the manual of gameful exercise, because, <laughs> um, you know, do you see that pivot? So I'm a professional podcaster, Steve. Oh my God, it was seamless. It was great. <laughs> um, yeah, let's talk about it. How did this... So you said you worked on this for a year or more. Like, how did this come together? Yeah, it, it was a year. So the manual game exercise is like a hundred over 100 workouts. There's one for each D&D 5e subclass. And I just kind of built out workouts given my general experience at the gym, with other coaches, so on and so forth. But yeah, it took me about a year to do it because everything had to be tested. Uh, it's one thing to like, write down a workout and be like, yeah, that looks like it's good. It's a whole other thing to actually get out there and actually try it. So that, that was definitely an experience. And that why it took, that's why it took so long, because I would write uh, a workout and then I'd go and do it. And then I'd be like, wow, this is impossible. No human being should be doing this. It's not valuable. Oh, it's not fun. It's just suffering. So let's dial it back. Let's like re-go back to the, the drawing board and figure it out. Uh, and that happened a lot, <laughs> to be quite honest. But yeah. it did take me about a year. Um, and I was just working, just trying out all these workouts, making tweaks and things like that. So yeah, I, I, at the end of it, I had this PDF. It ends up being, I think, 119 workouts, five extra ones just because they didn't fit anywhere, but they were still really good workouts and I included them. And they have tables and stuff. So you can, you can roll, you can do all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's a bunch of workouts that are each 
kind of aligned with one of the D&D subclasses, which I thought was kind of gimmicky and fun. Yeah, it looks great. Um, I have not started this routine because uh, I think it would destroy me. But... Well, that's the, that's the other thing. And, you know, I kind of I kind of hid this behind a lot of the intro and things like that. It's not really a routine. It's not really designed to go start to finish. And it's, it's not like a nine week program where like if you do all nine, you should be getting these kind of goals. What it is, okay. it's just like a, a collection of workouts. And if one resonates with you and you get joy out of it, mission accomplished, that is what it's there for. Um, if you do a workout and you're like, wow, I really hated that, but at least I'm moving and I feel good about myself for that, mission accomplished. Yeah, that, that's what I wanted. I think that general mindset really helped to kind of shape up how the text came to be. And I think why a lot of people resonated with it because it was very low pressure. It wasn't like you're committing to a nightly program. I think I say in the intro that if you just look at the book, what you've done is you kind of committed to yourself and shown through, you kind of care a little bit about moving your body. And maybe that's all that you need today. <laughs> maybe all you need to do is just think about, maybe I do want to move my body. And maybe I do want to think about how the, the, the wet meat in my skull interacts with the wet meat under my skin. Yeah. Uh, and that's great. Everyone should do that at least a little bit. Damn, you're such a good motivational speaker. I'm... I, I, do, does that is that motivating? I'm just kind of like talking about what like I think what I bring, brings me joy personally and what I wish for other people in the end to be happy and joyful. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I love it. Well, I'm going to buy it, but... <laughs> Well, I, <laughs> even if you don't want to buy it, there are coupon codes uh, on that page. So you can just pick mm -hmm. up a copy for free, which I thought was really cool because I didn't know that was a thing on DMs Guild. Um, but I was talking to some other uh, content creators um, and they were like, yeah, you can put up coupon codes, including 100% off. Uh, you won't get um, it won't count towards kind of your metal status, like the platinum, the Electrum awards. But people can just have it for free. And that's totally an option that's there. Yeah, I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, um, I'm going to include a link to it in the description if you want to check out uh, DM Steve's uh, manual of gainful, gainful exercise. <laughs> um, and maybe, you know, do a workout or two. Um, yeah, I, I would say for, for my routine, especially like being a pro GM and like... Um, being a game designer like it can be very easy to just get stuck in this fucking chair and um forcing myself to work out three to five times a week has really kept me productive and it's such a valuable use of my time um especially with um you know i'm slightly i believe i'm neurodivergent and um it really helps me focus um it making sure that i they that i work out if i don't work out i see a huge drop in my productivity as far as like being able to focus on stuff personally so not i don't recommend it to people saying that they need to have a brain like mine but um i think most people in general in their science behind this that if you are active your brain works better you're able to focus more and things like that so and it's also a stress reliever right it's a great stress reliever and you know i have now gotten to more of the the science and apparently there's not a lot of study on this but the nervous system like throughout the entire body it, i don't know if you know this but your brain uh relies on nerves quite a bit but how you know that pathway and and how that engages and how its efficiency that also needs like a little bit of love and attention in order to stay efficient um if you don't have those uh, neurons, those nerves kind of firing fairly often and trying to like figure it out and, and knock out the cobwebs as it were, uh, it can actually be really, really hard um, to do things that you want your body to do in the very moment of it. It's actually one why one reason now when I go to the gym and I'm getting older too. I turned 35 this year. Um, I spend oh. the majority of my time. <laughs> yes. I spend, the time, uh, I spend the majority of my time actually uh, warming up. And what I'm warming up is yes, the muscles and things like that. But actually what I'm most concerned about is uh, my nerves. I want to make sure that my body powerlifting obviously does carry some risks. 
I want to make sure that when I ask my body to do something, I don't have to organize on the spot. The organization has already happened. My nerves all know what to do, focusing on one thing. And then when I'm in the bottom of that squat or wherever it is, it becomes just a push action through my brain rather than okay, knees out, hips tilt. Like, I don't need to worry about that because I've already taken care of it in the first 20 minutes when I arrived. You take 20 minutes to warm up? Dang. I take 20 minutes to warm up. That's dedication. That's like the shit that I used to do when I was in the Marine Corps. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's like actual professionalism. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I have a ton of injuries in my body. And mm-hmm. a lot of it came from like that machismo that we were talking about. It's like, I don't need to warm up. Let's go do some like yeah. heavy, heavy five by five squats. And then, wow, my back really hurts. I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I have like multiple injuries. Like uh, I, I push myself too hard after too many months kind of sitting in a chair uh, and I ruptured my Achilles tendon. And that oh. was like a big, big problem because, you know, I lost my ability to walk. And then after that, the rehab was extremely painful, very emotional for me. And now I sit there and I do 20 minutes of warm up because I refuse to to just like abuse my body in the way that I was. And two, it makes makes my actual time with the iron more efficient. I get more value out of, out of the limited time that I have there now, which is mm-hmm. kind of nice. It's kind of a different way of framing it. Like I could spend 40 minutes under the bar or I could mm-hmm. spend 20 minutes warming up with another 20 minutes under the bar. And that 20 minutes is actually just as valuable as that 40 was. Yeah, that's... um. So I, I switched to... Um, are you familiar with starting strength? Is that the five by five? Uh, three by five, but similar sort of yes. like makeup. So it's like just three Olympic lifts as yep. a major uh, form. And then maybe you can add some other stuff if you want to. But for the most part of i dropped since i um i need to set up my bench i'm such a lazy bitch i i dropped the bench um because i have shoulder issues but i still should probably bench with lightweight and i have not done deadlifts because i've kind of put it off because i need like mats to deadlift because i have them in my garage other than that though i do still squat three times a week which basically has resulted in like my ass like quadrupling which is great um And like my thighs are super thick now, but I'm like in this weird spot because it's like all my and it and it and it's funny because of like the way that uh, hormones like interact with my body now, and I noticed like all my weight basically went to those spots anyway. So it's it's just kind of funny. I'm terrible at like overhead exercise now. Um, pull ups are. I used to do like uh, if I was like out of shape, I could do 15 pull ups. If I was in shape, I was doing like 25 pull ups um, in a set. And now I can do two. <laughs> like, I did overhead is so difficult now that I'm on uh, hormones and I'm not like training that stuff regularly. So it's it's just weird. My my um. My squats, though, are almost back up to where what they were. I think I most I ever squatted was like 360 pounds. And now I can I can do I can do like 325 for reps now. Wild. That's so that's so impressive. That's like high end people in general, right? Like, I hope you know that. I hope you know that like not everyone off the street <laughs> can squat 360. What? <laughs> um, well, you know, I. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm trying to I'm trying to get break 400 eventually. That'd be great. Uh, I think that's sort of like the end goal, and I'm not 400 regularly because that's probably not sustainable in the long run. But I would like to to get back up there. Um, 
most of my concern is like being useful with my strength and that's why i kind of switched to like the minimalist like olympic style lifts because it's all like functional stuff i'm not i'm not really into bodybuilding like and i don't want it consequently i want a body like a bodybuilder but i don't want to do a bodybuilding routine so i'm like uh, it's just something I got to give up, I guess. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm in the same way. It's like I could, you know, transfer my body to this, but I really like beer and I really <laughs> like bread. Um, yeah. And I'd, I'd rather eat beer and bread and lift really heavy than actually lift less weight. <laughs> And have yeah. a six pack. In fact, yeah. I don't even have the jeans for a six pack. I would just have like this like weird kind of like belly and like I wouldn't be happy with it. I'd uh-huh. be dehydrated. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Give me give me some beer. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's such a weird that's such a weird revelation was for me as well. Like um some people are earnestly like they just have like the jeans for like stuff like that. And like they like um case in point, Gabe Hicks. Gabe yeah. Hicks has the genes for an amazing body and i i'm not trying to make that sound weird but like yeah i was talking to gabe and he was like he posted on twitter he's like first time at the gym and i was just like gabe how's that possible it's unfair but anyway if i can maybe nitpick a little bit i am trying really hard to not describe people's bodies as amazing or not amazing or things like that okay so i don't don't know if that's a thing that you notice but um Gabe and all the other people in tabletop RPGs, they all have amazing bodies, obviously. Gabe, but you're right, does have the genes for like that very thin, almost like swimmer body situation mm-hmm. going on. And that is, yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah. yeah the swim uh what what's that what's that thing called? The uh the swimmer body uh illusion. Yeah. I was I remember my ex-wife was like really into swimmers, and then like I looked into that and I was just like, Oh, this is rigged from the start. Like <laughs> Because I was actually a water survival um, instructor. So I was in the water like all the time. I never got a body like that. Like, and it's just like, well, that's because I'm not a competitive swimmer. The people who succeed at competitive swimming are have that body type because like that's the type of body that succeeds in that sport. So it's like this illusion created by uh, genetics, essentially, oh, yeah. in our sports system. Uh, it's wild. Body body image like stuff is so I, I don't know. It's I'm dealing with like a whole different set of like expectations now and like appearance. And that's been kind of strange uh, for me to sort of wrestle with. But yeah, I definitely. Um, and yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I think it's it's much more important that people just be healthy if they can in whatever way that they can, rather than focusing on necessarily like what they look like or, um, you know, that their perceived like ideal image of themselves. Even in the RPG spaces that we're in, and we're seeing a big change in it, even in the art and the way bodies are presented, we're actually seeing kind of this new idea and, and new body types being introduced that are really, really mainstream or getting more and more mainstream. Um, and I think it's a really, really good thing. So, you know, if you go back and you look at Dungeons and Dragons from the 80s, the 90s, um, everyone was like thin. And the only people that were fat, villains and mm-hmm. basically just villains. <laughs> That was it. Yeah. Um, the fact of the matter is, you know, fat people exist and fat people are some of the strongest people in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're going to have a fantasy that talks about strength and power, you better include some fat people in that because that's just kind of the life we live in. And if you don't include fat people in that kind of fantasy, what you're basically saying is that, you know, you don't really consider that that's probably worth, you know, dealing with and de- deconstructing and, and engaging with. Yeah, it's yeah, for sure. It's 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 weird to to think about and even for myself like i am i'm really big for a woman so like for me it's like i'm i'm taller i'm broader and i weigh more and i obviously lift more as well than than most women do and 
the women who I see like online or who I like, you know, am very envious of, um, you know, personally, uh, and I deal with that. But the women who I'm envious of, like, they will probably not be able to without years and years and years and years of practice get to where I'm at as far as like lifting or like doing stuff like that. So I think it's I think it's good um, to just practice more self-love. I agree with that. I hope I hope a lot of people can agree with that. Yeah. And I think that's a I think that's a good place for us to to wrap up this uh, episode. Did you have anything that you wanted to mention that you have coming up or you wanted to to, to point people to that we can put in the description? Uh, I would say if you, if you liked listening to my voice, you should definitely check out uh, the Asians of Present podcast. That's on Twitter at AZNS rep um, or AZNS whatever uh um you can see some of the work that we're doing there a lot of cool episodes coming up I i've been actually in talks with a bunch of guests um to set up a really really cool short series with daniel kwan and jeremy blum uh so that'll be really really interesting it's about uh comic books and being an asian creator in the comic space so i think that'll be really really interesting cool. um otherwise you can follow me on twitter at d-e-e-m steve that's dmst phonetically it stands for slip into my dms and let's talk about i guess lifting and body image because uh, <laughs> that's that's what's on my mind right now um but no they can definitely follow me there uh you'll see my name hopefully more often as the year goes on and other charity streams panels undecided if i'm going to go to gen con probably a no on that one uh and also undecided for big bad con but it definitely is on my radar yeah i would love to see you at big bad i'm gonna try and go but yeah uh, all of the all of the links to uh what steve's talking about and steve's socials you should follow steve on twitter at least if you're on twitter you need to see what steve is saying Hi, thanks for listening. If you want to support me, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash isfriday, or you can find some of the work that I'm doing at vineyardrpg.com if you want to pre-order the book that we made.